This is Fizz Free. In today's episode, we meet the founder and co-host of Fizz Free, Ruth. Oh, you made me well up then. I didn't think I'd cry on this podcast, I really didn't. Ruth's in her mid-30s and a working mother of two in the UK, and she quit drinking in December 2020. I felt like I had no support whatsoever. She opens up about her relationship with alcohol, from teens and early adulthood to burning the candle at both ends. I remember crawling into bed thinking, my God, I'm a rock star. Juggling a social life, a demanding career and then parenthood. I remember going up to read my daughter her bedtime story and she turned around to me and said, Mum, why are you slurring? As many people can probably relate, Ruth's relationship with alcohol really changed during the pandemic. Lockdown lifted slightly and you could go and sit in someone's garden. What do you do when you go and sit in someone's garden and the sun's out? You carry a bottle of wine to their house. Ruth opens up about how she managed to break free from alcohol with the help of podcasts, exercise and by keeping a journal. She shares a few extracts here. Oh my gosh, this is the best feeling. I'm not hungover today and I was elated. Ruth's all about shattering the illusion of alcohol. Just the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. There are zero benefits to drinking the substance. Thanks for listening. This is Fizz Free. It just makes me feel so good to be able to pass this and pay it forward. Ruth, out of the three of us hosting together, you were the one who got sober first and inspired (laughs) Claire and myself over time to sort of follow in your footsteps and cheer us along. So you started it all off. What are you going to tell us? Yeah. I think, firstly, to say that that was completely unplanned. It was just one of those things that happened quite naturally. And I think that's what's so wonderful about sobriety is it kind of secretly and um like quietly engages people and inspires people and you know this journey that I've been on for coming up to three years now was never planned I never ever thought that my life would be alcohol free um so yeah I'm going to take you back through my life and give you a bit of an overview of where I started and how I've ended up where I am um, so yeah, when I was a teenager, I did the normal stuff, went through GCSEs, I then progressed to A-levels and it was probably probably around GCSE time when I started using a fake ID to get into clubs, <laughs> um, sort of 15 years old going up town and it would be Alco Pops. Never, ever, ever liked them. I don't know if you remember a bit of nostalgia, but going back to the good old days of reef and Smirnoff ice. They were so they were. sugary. They were <laughs> so drink. disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I never but, got into them either, you know, never. No. Mm. And do you know what? Back then, and since being on this sober journey, it absolutely resonates with me that the first taste of alcohol you ever have, instinctively, you dislike it. You're like, oh God, that tastes vile. Um, The science behind that actually is because your body is programmed to reject alcohol. It knows it's a carcinogenic, it knows it's poison. So your body actually rejects it. And it's only over time when you sort of fight with that instinct where you break it down and your brain convinces yourself that you do actually like the taste of it. So because of that, I didn't drink much when I was a teenager. I got through my GCSEs, my A-levels and even university. 
even at that point, I, I quite often drove if we went out because it just never, ever bothered me. I'd much rather know I was getting home safe and didn't have to worry about taxes. And um, I hated throwing up, which I quite often did when I was doing my degree. If I ever did decide to drink, it would be a complete binge and I would vomit. And I think back then you could cope with it because your hangovers were so short and sharp. I knew if I threw up, I could wake up the next day and be fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Completely different now. Um, so, yeah, the real sticky point, I'd say, is when, you know, things did start to change a little bit was once I finished university and I did a postgraduate degree and um, I got quite a demanding job. And that's when I started drinking consistently at weekends. I was engaged to be married. I got engaged quite young. I was 21 when I got engaged. So I was going through the process of starting this brand new career, planning a wedding. Um, we had no children, so we were out pretty much Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday. Um, we had no commitments or early mornings that we had to be fresh for. I suppose the binge drinking started then, really where I'd go out and my sole purpose was to get drunk. <laughs> it wasn't me thinking, I'm going to go out and just enjoy a glass of wine. It was, right, let's have pre-going out drinks. This was with my friends. Let's have, you know, loads of wine. We might have some vodka, some gin or whatever. And then we'll just top ourselves up when we get to the club or whatever. I've got a, a friend who's German and she came to visit me in my early 20s and she could not get her head around that phrase she said wait you drink to get <laughs> drunk and I was like yeah, yeah baby yeah. yeah and she just looked so she didn't too judgy but she was so surprised she just couldn't understand yeah. it she was like but you drink to get drunk and she's European and I think you've touched on the fact that that's a very English culture yeah. uh, kind of mindset as well so I totally identify with with that focus of yeah. that's the whole point to go out to get drunk exactly and I think living in the UK is it's dangerous in terms of our drinking culture There's so much marketing around sort of influencing people's choices over alcohol um you know you go and buy a packet of cigarettes and there's somebody's you know a deceased body's lungs on there you pick up a bottle of wine and there's not somebody passed out who's had their drink spiked and, you know, had really unfortunate things happen to them. You know, it's marketed as this really fun, amazing substance which is going to give you the best time of your life, which is just quite sick when you think about it like that because when you take away the marketing and you take away the posh bottle, all you're left with is a registered poison which yeah. is just insane. <laughs> I had no idea for years how dangerous and how addictive alcohol can be. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the that's the danger of it, is that, you know, I'm an educated person, as we all are, and it, I feel tricked. And I genuinely feel like someone's played a complete hypnosis trick on me that I couldn't see, like that illusion... And this has been a, a huge, huge thing in my sobriety and shattering that illusion. And I'll talk through how I did that. But 
it was as if I could see clearly for the first time and you know just the emperor isn't wearing any clothes there are zero benefits to drinking the substance so back to being in my 20s I got married at 23 and I didn't really drink much on my Hendy, didn't drink much on my wedding like I can remember everything about my day um on honeymoon again alcohol wasn't a huge part of my life back then and then my job got more stressful I had a promotion really early on um and I started feeling quite stressed to the point I had physical problems I started having lumps stress lumps form on my head I was referred um for investigations whether it was bacterial infections or something untoward going on they couldn't find anything and it was all down to stress and that's when it started to creep up really I would abstain all week drink at a weekend that was my routine and then Tuesday night wine club started and it became a bit of a joke with me and my husband because we were like well we've made it to Tuesday you know we haven't had anything since Saturday night so actually we've done all right this is a midweek circuit breaker um it gets us through to Friday now so week week night wine club was just you two, <laughs> just us two. Yeah, just having but with a nice cute name. Meal. Yeah, Tuesday night wine club. Why not? Mm. Um, and it was just a normal thing to do. And I thought, you know, everybody has a drink to un- unwind and get them through the week. And it was that terminology really to get you through the week. It's a reward. It's a well done. You made it to Tuesday. You've got over Monday, which is the hardest day of the week. So yeah, I got pregnant at 25, um, which I completely stopped drinking altogether. Um, had a really nice pregnancy, wonderful birth and a beautiful baby at the end of it. And I didn't really get back into drinking when I had her because I fell pregnant with my second child. And after having her, I breastfed her for quite a while. So I pretty much had three years out of drinking which is bizarre when you look back and I used to think that to myself I was like how can I do three years and I'm struggling to do three days now (laughs) because at that time though you were so focused on such massive commitments and massive challenges and responsibility I suppose that completely took priority for you and do you know what the maddest thing is it was as if a switch had been flipped when I was pregnant and breastfeeding I was like I have to do this Someone has told me I cannot drink when I'm pregnant, so I I don't drink. It just doesn't even come into my head that I want any. And then, because I'm doing it for myself, I was like, oh, well, I haven't got a baby inside me anymore. I'm not feeding. I can actually drink again, and no one's telling me I can't. No one sat me down and said, this isn't good for your health, so crack on. So that's a few years later. Yeah, so I'd say... When the, when the girls started school, I fell into quite a clique at the school gate and I, I became really friendly with um, some school mums and things were really hunky-dory. I was on maternity leave at the time and eventually I'd go back to work. So I had more time on my hands. The group of mums that I fell into a crowd with were really social. We did a lot together Um we socialised quite heavily at the weekends. A few of them really enjoyed a drink. They really enjoyed the party social scene. And I kind of got swept up in that. And 
there was a few nights I was crawling in at 4am. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I remember crawling into bed thinking, my God, I'm a rock star. I have got it all. I've got two kids. I've got an amazing husband. And I've just crawled into bed at 4am because I've been out partying and drinking. And I would literally turn up to children's parties on the Sunday I remember going to my niece's party and my cousin, who doesn't drink a lot, was like, you're all right, you look a bit rough. And I was like, yeah, I was out till four. And I wore it like a badge of honour. I was like, check me out. I am still young, <laughs> which I technically was. You know, I was only late 20s. Um, and I just felt it was cool. And that, that sounds so pathetic, saying that out loud. But maybe, um, you know, after having two kids, that's you claiming you time and being yeah. who you were before kids. And on some level, that can feel a bit reassuring and give your your identity back a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it was I was really swept up by this friendship group. And it was all consuming. It becomes quite intense because you're all in the same boat you've all been you know you're either on your second pregnancy and you're going through maternity leave together and you spend a lot of time in each other's company and how many people are you talking here there was probably about seven of us maybe eight I can't remember the exact amount I'd say I was really close to maybe three or four of them um and it's really difficult for me to talk about but things went sour and the reason they went sour was because of a drunken night out and this particular night um we actually didn't get home till 5am and but it was a massive changing point and it it was that serious that we parted ways basically I, I lost a friendship group instantly overnight a few other people were involved um and it completely split the group and we were a split camp. It was awful. The that can anxiety. be really unsettling because they often say that yeah. phrase, don't they? It takes a village to raise a child. And if you've all got early motherhood in common as a support network yeah. and then something damages that, then I can imagine that would be really unsettling. Yeah, it was horrific. It's it's one of the worst things I've, I've been through. And I think the hardest thing was is that it was very cutthroat. It was very, um, we don't want to hear your side. Um, and I found that difficult to kind of not fight my own corner. And it made me question kind of how I saw myself, really. And it, it made me feel insecure. And my anxiety went through the roof. You know, I had to face these people every morning, every afternoon, dropping my children off, collecting my children. And it was like a wasp's nest. It was absolutely toxic. And looking back, would have what happened happened if drink wasn't involved? That's what alcohol does. It it leaves gaps in stories and people fill those gaps. So yeah, that that was a real down point for me. And at that point, um, I was in recovery from quite major surgery. Um, I'd been poorly for quite some time um, and had a misdiagnosis for two years, which I had to completely battle my way through to get a true diagnosis. And it wasn't until I had my 
second diagnostic laparoscopy that they found out I had quite a serious ruptured appendix which I'd been living with for two years so my stomach was in bits had to have major surgery so at that point in my life I was getting over quite an intense medical condition two young kids I just lost one of my biggest support networks in the friendship group so yeah I I just felt like my life was falling apart I was off work long-term sick because I'd been so poorly and yeah so that was in my 30s really early 30s me and my husband looked at our lives and was like right where do we want things to go and I was like well my job is really demanding I can't go back into that one at the minute but I still want to work I can't be at home all day every day my kids are at full-time school I needed something for me so I decided to apply for a job which was more of a demotion really and I feel that's the turning point that my drinking got a bit worse because I didn't have to be firing on all cylinders to go into work I didn't have to be at the top of my game I could walk in there half hung over and no one noticed because I was a bit at the bottom of the pecking order <laughs> I've heard that before on on other podcasts actually people saying that if, you, if you've had a job where there isn't major responsibility and not necessarily yeah. in the spotlight then yeah you can pull it off and you can well function yeah. and yeah. and if you're hiding it and thinking that you're functioning then that that can turn into a slippery slope yeah and it was it was like I had no challenge, I had no responsibility, I was doing three days a week and I could go in and do the job with my eyes closed, it it was just, but I knew that that was a stepping stone for me, it was just to build my confidence back up for when I decided to step up again once I sorted it, because at this point I still had lots of investigations going on with my health. So yeah, and then Covid hit (laughs) and I'd say at this point I was still moderately drinking and I know you can't really say what moderate because moderate for me might be really moderate for someone else or really heavy for someone else because I think it's all relative but Covid hit and I remember thinking I've got two young kids at home, my husband was going to work every day and I was left trying to homeschool them, trying to keep two young people happy and confined I was very fortunate I had a garden so I was really thankful for that if I'm outside in the sunshine and we had the paddling pool out it was a bit like a holiday and I was like I'm not at work the sun's out surely it's wine o'clock and you know those toxic text messages keep going around then that you know you'd get a, a picture of a glass of wine from one of my best friends saying it's 12 o'clock somewhere isn't it and I'd be like do you know what if she's got one that's a green light for me to go and get one so off I go into the kitchen it's half past two and I'm like ah well if I was on holiday I'd be having a glass of wine my lunch so why not I'll have a glass of wine now don't you um, think it's amazing how influential something like that can be just just a little text message or somebody close oh, to completely. you just sharing that as being normal it's amazing how that can switch you but also I think Covid was such a major accelerant for a lot of people's drinking I don't think that that's uncommon that when the world found itself paralysed and stuck at home people then got stuck in but I suppose the trick is like at what point like how far through 2020 does that go into the point where you think 
okay things are different I don't still want to be having wine at two in the afternoon or whatever and that was the thing for me like in a way Covid was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of my drinking because it accelerated so quickly the only way I can describe it is I felt I was quite in control of my drinking because prior to Covid I knew sometimes I drank too much but I had a switch if I was out I knew that tipping point and I would stop and I would have water I would get absolutely berated by my friends oh my gosh you're so boring you're going on water you know come on and did we nickname you two sip tina (laughs) two sip i I did i had the nickname two sip tina because people used to say god she only you know ruth only has to have one glass and she's gone and that was me but slowly my tolerance built up and that buzz and that kick that i got from that from that first glass took longer (laughs) and it was harder to sustain and during lockdown, you know, it was very much like there's nothing else to do. It's an escapism. I just needed something to drown my sorrows because I'm terribly miss my family. I'm really close to my family and I found it difficult to not see them. Um, and scared for my family. You know, I had my mum and dad who were bleaching all their groceries when it was being delivered from Asda you know I was coordinating their Asda deliveries because they were so scared of catching Covid and then lockdown lifted slightly and you could go and sit in someone's garden what do you do when you go and sit in someone's garden and the sun's out you carry a bottle of wine to their house and that became a thing then because I wanted to see my family so badly we were visiting each other's gardens a lot and that meant log burners outside that meant wine and it became a little bit of a slippery slope and then lockdown got lifted we all went back to work but I didn't change my routine and this is the point I'm talking about so if you imagine a little roller coaster where I'm bumping around up and down and some weeks I'm not drinking much and then other weeks I've had a bit of a binge and I'm absolutely hanging and then other weeks I'm all right covid imagine just the, a really steep drop on the roller coaster and that's when i felt it was really weird it was as if i was losing grip it was as if i knew i was losing control over it and these were the reasons why i knew my hangovers were getting just horrible to the point i had anxiety i would dread if someone texted me to go out because i'd be like oh god I don't want to go out because I know I've got swimming tomorrow with the kids. I can't get up and go swimming. I'm going to be feeling rubbish because my hangovers, I used to wake up and my stomach was like a, oh, like someone was doing somersaults in them. I'd feel lethargic, tired, headache. I just feel like I've got the weight on my shoulders. It was the main turning point for me as well was I was fed up of thinking about it genuinely I would get up and go to work and I'd wake up and think I'm not going to have one tonight I am not going to go home and have one that half a bottle that's still in the fridge because wine was my absolute crutch I'm not going to drink that when I get back I would purposely leave a little bit in a bottle of wine and put that in the fridge because I'd tell myself knowing full well it was bullshit I would tell myself When you get in, you'll only have that one glass. 
but you only have the choice over the first glass. As soon as that hits the taste buds, I'll be like, oh, well, that was only a small one. I'll just open the next bottle. It's a complete cycle. And before I know it, pretty much all that bottle would be gone. And what about your husband during this? Was he, did he mention or notice or was he just along for the ride or was it not really discussed? This is what worried me because he was along for the ride. My husband's um, a social drinker. He abstains all week um, and then we'll have beer if he goes out on a weekend. If he doesn't go out, he will literally just have a couple of beers watching the football on a Saturday afternoon but I massively noticed that he was starting to increase his drinking and little things stick in your head. And I remember the one night, and this is horrible to admit, we had got through three bottles of wine. So that's one and a half each. And he put his shoes on to go and get a fourth. I was like, where are you going? He's like, I'm just going to go and get another bottle. And I was like, no, no, that that's too much. We can't, no. My kids are asleep upstairs. If there's an emergency, we couldn't get in a car and take them to A&E. Yeah, I think you're not alone in that one at all, though, Ruth. I think it doesn't justify it at all, but so many parents, because at that stage of your life, you are drinking at home. You're not going out and dressing up and clubbing. You are at home, stress relieving. And as you say, it becomes whether one or both of you is doing that and to what extent. But, But you were the voice then that said, hang on a minute, on this occasion let's not yeah yeah and this is a scary thing and I think because I grew up in you know a family um surroundings where drink was normalized I didn't know anybody who didn't drink and our Friday nights would be a visit down the local social club and we'd kind of I would fall asleep on the sofa in the pub I'd have a piggyback back staggering down the road and it was just normal, like, it was just normal to see people getting a bit louder, <laughs> getting a bit, you know, slurring their speech and whatnot. And I think that's really quite a worrying thing is that it's those subconscious imprints that go into your brain, which is why I've wanted to turn it around for my children. So they are more aware of what alcohol is and that actually it's it's a conscious choice that you should make and an, an informed educated choice so yeah I, I looked at my husband that night and I just said no we, we've had enough um and I found we were both more tetchy with the kids we had a lot less patience with them because we, we were recovering <laughs> we'd wake up in the morning and our bodies were sort of on emergency recovery mode which takes a lot of energy um but I made some notes to myself when I was um going sober when I decided to and I wanted to write something down that I would always look back at and I wanted it to be a shock tactic to say don't ever go back to how you were notes you made to you like for yourself and to yourself to be kept and read yeah yeah so number one and this one gets me every time you drank nearly a bottle of wine before the girls swimming class and I remember that evening so vividly and it was that classic I got in from work there was one glass of wine in the fridge it'd been a stressful day 
and I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm just going to have one while I'm cooking dinner. Because that feels quite civilised, right? Like chefs do. (laughs) Exactly. So I drank that. And then I thought, oh, do you know what? I've got the taste right now because you literally only have the choice over the first glass. Past that, it's the addiction and the alcohol telling you you need more. So I opened a bottle and I had a further two more glasses to the point where I said to my husband, I can't drive to swim in now. So my husband drove to swim in and I remember standing in those changing rooms looking around and it was half past six in the evening. And I remember thinking... No one else in here has had a glass of wine. What, am I the odd one out? No, surely. These have all had a cheeky glass before they've got here. Absolutely. And I was looking around thinking, no, they've literally got in from work and come straight out to take their kids swimming. What is wrong with me? Why have I done that? And I was horrified. Absolutely horrified. That's my number one. Number two, sometimes you would just plan activities so I could drink absolutely would if I was thinking right we'll take the girls out for the day go to a national trust tick that off the list there's a pub on the way home let's stop there let's go to drinking um I've put here you would skip bath times because the wine made you lazy so again that would go on to my husband because he can take his drink better than me so he would probably be in a better state so I'd have to get him to sort of chivvy them along and this one oh god this one kills me And again, vividly remember this. I remember thinking to myself, I can drink and still be the perfect mom. I can still function. And I'd had a couple of wines and I remember going up to read my daughter her bedtime story and she turned around to me and said, Mum, why are you slurring? And I was like, oh my God, I'm actually slurring. And she's noticed. Mm. She's old enough to notice. And I was like, oh, gosh number five at parties you'd want to get rid of the kids so you could drink and I've put here you selfish git <laughs> but I would I'd be like right we're we're at a party palm the kids off on somebody else I want to nurse this uh, bottle of wine so those were five of the things that I thought would really shock me and then I've just made some little notes about how it actually affected me as a person So I've put tiredness. You wake up feeling like you haven't slept. Everything is a chore. You feel like a zombie. You can't think straight and your body feels lethargic. Grouchy. Everything annoys you. You have no patience and you shout at people. Guilt. You wake up every morning feeling guilty. You promise yourself you won't drink again tonight. And when you do, you feel like a failure. Again. You can't just have one. You always think you can have one, but you can't. One leads to a whole bottle. The hangover, you feel sick, your tummy churns, you have horrible pain and only sugary foods will help. This one's a bit embarrassing, but talking about bowel movements, obviously it affects your bowel, which is embarrassing. Expensive, think of the extra nice things you could have instead of wasting your money on booze. It consumes your thoughts. You're looking for excuses and opportunities to drink all the time. It made you stop wanting to make an effort to play with the girls. It made you feel low, massively anxious and depressed at times. Loss of control and memory. Don't need to say more. It's a horrible feeling. Worry. Worrying about your health and whether you have a problem all the time. If you worried about it, yes, you do have a problem. 
So those were my diary notes to myself and for the first couple of months when I stopped I read them pretty much every day. I think that's such an interesting um, approach because had that (laughs) been me I would have made that list, read it and then scrunched up and put it in the bin and then it wouldn't (laughs) exist and I could carry on doing whatever I want but for you you're quite a factual person Mm. and you like rules and um, boundaries to be nice and clear it sounds like from what you were saying earlier about being pregnant you can't drink so that was no issue for you just to take that advice on board but this sounds like a a tool one of the tools maybe that you were using to talk to yourself and put rules in place for yourself and what other sort of tools did you sort of add to that so one of the things I did was I was going for a job which was a promotion I was going back into my normal work and I remember saying to my husband if I'm going to do this job I need to be firing on all cylinders I can't have alcohol in my life and I woke up on the 14th of December it was 2020 it was just shortly after the um, second lockdown finished and I remember having a glass of wine and I looked at it and I thought that's the last glass of wine I'm ever going to have and a lot of people don't have this moment But I did, I just knew it was the last glass. And I finished it and I went to bed and I woke up the next day, 15th of December. And I said to my husband, I'm never drinking again. He went, all right. I was like, no, seriously. I got in my car that morning. I Googled podcasts for sobriety and Craig Beck came up and I listened to his first podcast on the way to work. And I just knew that was my turning point. He spoke to me so factually. And I know some people find him a bit too harsh and a bit too factual, but I really relate to that. It suits you, right? It really suits me. I listened to his first podcast and I was hooked. I could not get enough of the man. I listened to it all the way back. I got home. Every time I did housework, my earphones were in. I binged through his entire podcast within, God, it was probably a week. And I downloaded his hypnosis script. I listened to that every single night. And I told everyone, which is bizarre because so many people keep it a secret. And at that time of year, though, you're you're in party season. You're running up to Christmas. Mm -hmm. People have got that... um go ahead that green light to to drink more in December so that would really go against the grain I did it purely for that point so I thought if I can get through Christmas and New Year without a drink I can do anything so yeah I um and just to go to that bit so you when you say you told people so you told your husband (laughs) you told um family on a family link yeah and I recall some reaction to this being, (laughs) be quiet, good for you, kind of, kind of uncomfortableness it seemed to generate. I mean, what sort of reaction do you feel like you had? Horrific. I I felt like I had no support whatsoever. Luckily, I'm a very determined person and quite strong-minded. And once I've made my mind up, I do tend to stick to things. And the reason why I told people was knowing my family and knowing my friends. If I gave up, oh my God, I'd have the biggest backlash. They would throw that in my face. And that's partly why I told them. Because I thought, 
I can't have that shame. I can't have that embarrassment that I failed. <laughs> it was a risky move, don't get me wrong. But it you was should, definitely the right thing. You should scroll back and actually find that initial message. I'm sure there was like <laughs> silence, like tumbleweed yeah. for quite some time after you posted some of the... <laughs> I think you went, you were posting like hard facts and statistics on like the week yeah. before Christmas and, and nobody really replied. <laughs> for a bit of time, I was like, oh, shush. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone wanted me to go away and like shut up. Um, yeah. And, you know, I have had people say to me, oh God, you know, you don't lecture us. And... It's not about lecturing, it's more about informing so you can make an informed choice. If I told you everything I know about alcohol and you still choose to drink, then that's your decision and I respect that. If you're drinking because you're not aware of what it's doing to your body, then surely you want to know what you're putting inside yourself. It's worth noting at this point, so I've said that me and Claire had you leading the way and to ask questions and to open up to so you didn't have anybody physically in real life to speak to that you know you were just listening to podcasts and had you listened to podcasts before that point much or never I mean that's what makes it quite remarkable you you spontaneously did this without any person-to-person support yeah I had I had nothing really and looking back I don't know how I did because I didn't even talk to my husband. Like, if my husband listens to this podcast, he'd be like, oh, I didn't know she felt like that. I didn't know that went through her head because I didn't really talk to anybody about it. It was very much a personal journey in terms of my feelings and my emotions. But outwardly, I was this, I'm not drinking. Don't talk to me about it. Don't question it. <laughs> but the problem was because I was so brazen about it and because I was so strong-minded about it, I met resilience because people saw it as an attack on their decision making. They were like, whoa, that's my best friend you are dissing right now. How dare you say that about them? And I had a lot of people question me. I got into quite a few heated arguments with people that, you know, I'm really close with. Because it just doesn't um, make any sense to to yeah. someone who drinks regularly and is supported by society and culture to continue doing so. And in a year on the back of COVID and on the run up to Christmas where it is entirely still normalised, I imagine, in, in your yeah. circles, then it is horribly uncomfortable to have somebody lifting up a mirror and showing the facts. I, I remember how uncomfortable that is to have somebody and sometimes not even saying or doing anything, but just knowing that that person was able to not drink can be really irritating and you just you think it doesn't make sense I don't get it yeah and I think that I mean how do you react with that it it was hard it was really really hard and I remember somebody saying to me oh my god you're brainwashed you are brainwashed I mean what a term (laughs) and I turned around to them and I said no you are brainwashed. I'm making an informed decision for my body. You believe that this is safe to use. What really upset me was hearing people say, well, why can't you moderate? Everything in moderation is fine. I even had someone say that to me this evening before I've done this podcast, genuinely. And I turned around to them and said, okay, would you go up to a heroin addict and say, listen, just have heroin of a weekend. Would you go up to somebody who 
wants coke and just say well it's all right because it's thursday night so you can have coke there is absolutely no difference with alcohol alcohol is one of the most addictive drugs out there and it's actually if you google the statistics it's the biggest um killer in terms of the drug world it kills more than any other drug there are more alcohol related drugs than any other one so the fact i find it insulting when somebody says why don't you just moderate why don't you moderate your intake of poison yeah and, and it causes seven types of cancer doesn't it and just like it exactly I, I did not know it was so so toxic and that's one thing i just want to hope and i imagine you're the same to, to pass along to the next generation just to have that knowledge in their pocket that you can't yeah. just go around smashing this stuff in left right and center exactly. because it's it is dangerous yeah absolutely and you know and i think back to all the funny i'm saying that with little commas on my fingers <laughs> all the funny, fun moments I had when I was younger, they're actually funny. What I thought was funny, but it was dangerous. They were just dangerous situations you put yourself in because you get this overconfident, oversharing, verbal diarrhea-ness that comes with alcohol. So how did I do it? I use podcasts. I cannot recommend using this. Honestly, they're just such a good resource. Even if you're at the stage in your drinking where you haven't given up yet and you're just trying us on for size, you're in the right place. Just keep listening, keep tuning in because something might just click for you where you're like, actually, I'm going to give this a little go. And most importantly, the one thing, if you take nothing away from this, is please don't listen in and think, oh my gosh, she's just admitted that she drank a bottle and a half of wine a night. I'm only having three quarters to a bottle. I'm all right. The key thing here is if you are worried about your drinking or you're uncomfortable with it, then absolutely go down this avenue of looking to, you know, make a change in your life. There's no set limit. There's no um, threshold that you have to crash through to qualify to become sober. I've read that. If it's a problem for you, it's a problem. Exactly, exactly. So I use podcasts. I read, I mean, if I showed you my Kindle, I read everything I could get my hands on. I love research anyway, um, but I read everything I could get my hands on. And, you know, if you're looking for some um, books to recommend, I'm sure we'll do another podcast on this, but just quickly, Mrs. D is Going Without, Tired of Thinking About Drinking, a fantastic book which I cannot recommend enough is The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. I used hypnosis. It's not for everybody and I get that. I'm just going through the tools that I used. And that's it really, just shattering. I can't explain that enough, just shattering that illusion and researching exactly what alcohol does to your body and how bad it is for you. It just really made me change my mind. What I want to share with you now is the positives. I've gone through a lot of the negatives. For me, what I've gained from being sober is just amazing. Just before you do, and maybe to bridge the gap between the negatives and the positives, as you ventured into the early weeks and then the early months of sobriety, did you come across triggers, triggering people, triggering moments, (laughs) and, and how did you tackle those? Do you know what it was for me? The biggest trigger 
if somebody sent me a holiday clip and there was a glass of wine with a sea in the background, instantly oh, wow. I'd be like, oh, I want to drink that. But you know what I had to tell myself is, is it really the alcohol I want from that picture? And I dissected a bit and be like, no. What I want from that picture is to be sat in the sun looking at that amazing view. Don't give the alcohol the the gold star. Don't give it that sort of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for, Jane? Don't, power, authority. Yeah. yeah, don't give it the power. Actually, the reason why you go out and have a good time is because you're out with people you love you're out with people who make you laugh and make you feel good about yourself. You're in a social environment with all that sort of absorbing that atmosphere. Alcohol actually only detracts from that because you're going to end up a slurring, can't walk, stumbling mess at the end of it and can't remember half the night. So don't give it that prestigious pedestal to stand on because alcohol's not the reason you're having a good time. The reason you're having a good time is you're out with mates. But what about um, events like maybe birthdays or New Year's Eve or Tuesday Wine Club? I mean, had that, that's gone by the side. What about like actual yeah, events so, or people perhaps even that would trigger you that would just make you stop and think? Did you just pull those yeah. thoughts out into the open, analyse them and package them back down, have a word with yourself? I had a resource bank and my resource bank was when I went to people's houses that I'd be triggered by or events, I made sure I had a nice drink. I went out and I bought myself beautiful glasses. I bought myself lots of gorgeous flavoured tonics and kombucha. I bought myself posh cordials. I even had frozen berries in the freezer, which I could sort of decorate my glass with. And it made me feel as if I was having an adult drink. And I needed that. I don't really use that now. But certainly I'd say for the first year, I needed that resource bank. I needed to think... I'm not going to sit here with a black currant cordial. I need a posh drink. <laughs> yeah, so the benefits. I feel genuinely like I've got so much more energy. You know, I work hard and I train hard. I do a lot of exercise. I compete in triathlons and I, I can do both. I, you know, run a household, I go to work and I don't seem to get that tired which is amazing and it's because I sleep better Um, I haven't got that artificial stimulant pumping into my body which you know it's got the effect of um, sedating you initially so you feel sleepy but then the stimulant kicks in after which gets your heart racing which is why you wake up at four or five in the morning quite often looking for a drink she's so dehydrated I don't have that anymore I sleep a lot more soundly obviously got more money because I'm not spending it on alcohol I found I'm more patient with the kids and the guilt's gone. I remember those times when they'd asked to play and I was like, oh God, I really don't want to do that. And I'd do it like half-heartedly. Now, (laughs) if somebody asks me to do something and I don't want to do it, I own that. And I'm like, I'm making a conscious decision that I don't want to do that. And there's no guilt. Every time I was incapable of doing something, I blamed the alcohol and then I'd feel guilty because it's the alcohol. Whereas now I'm just like, no, I just don't want to do that. You know, I'm up quite early nowadays. Um, I'm up normally between half six and half seven, which I know for you, Jane, you still like your lives in. 
<laughs> is that a time? Um, I think for you, even if you lie in now, you know you're lying in because you want to, Tight. not because you have to. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the anxiety has been lifted a lot. And do you know what? When I've had thoughts that I'm uncomfortable with, I've been able to process them better. I've been able to think them through logically um, and really live those feelings. And I feel I've got over things quicker because I'm not drinking to hide those feelings. I'm facing them, which is scary for some people. And I get that. So yeah, no hangover. And oh my gosh, this is the best feeling. And the whole pink cloud concept, if you've heard of it, I absolutely lived that for a year. I would wake up every single morning, look out the window and take a deep breath and be like, I'm not hungover today. And I was elated. I was absolutely elated that I woke up and I felt physically fit and physically well. It was just... A that, joy. That feeling is amazing. I get that if I drive, if I've sober driven and I've dropped people off and I've come home at like two in the morning, it's um, it's like a euphoria. It really is. And like for me, in the back of my head, I've always thought this is my life forever. But I've always been scared to say that. I always say, well, no one ever asks me. But in my head, I'm just like, if anybody does ask me, I'm, I always say, um, you know, one day at a time or whatnot. But I knew the minimum I wanted to do was three months because I knew at three months my liver would be completely healed, completely regenerated and healthy. And that was my absolute sort of gold stamp at the end of the three months, which by that point, all the withdrawals gone, all the addictive feelings have gone and it's so much easier. I felt really motivated. I hit the ground running in my job. I went in every day I was hot on it still am just feeling like I I've just got it together I just know where my life is going a bit more I spent a lot of time worrying about myself I was googling and wanting blood tests for somebody to say you are not allowed to drink going back to that whole pregnancy thing somebody told me I couldn't drink so I didn't drink I needed someone to tell me I couldn't drink to give up which is ridiculous I did it for myself in the end no one told me to but you know initially I was looking for that my physical health has improved massively I've improved in my triathlon times you know sometimes by three or four minutes in a race which is just amazing you're reverse aging (laughs) (laughs) my face doesn't look like I am but yeah I feel like my body is and people often have these worries I won't be able to dance sober I went out and did karaoke two weeks ago which I never ever ever thought I'd do but I did and I did it sober I had an alcohol free beer and I thoroughly enjoyed my evening and I left there feeling like I was absolutely buzzing I feel stronger mentally because I've overcome something and I don't feel embarrassed by that. You know, when people say, why did you give up? I don't make a stupid excuse. I literally just say, I stopped enjoying drinking. And the cups of it is, I did. I stopped enjoying it. I stopped getting joy out of it. And there's just no looking back now. Like I've got diary entries. Um, Here's this one. This is just 10 weeks in. So if you're on, 
if you're not even on day zero now, even just a few days in, you will feel the benefits, I assure you. Wow, over 10 weeks in, I've never felt better. My sleeping pattern's great. I have bags of energy. My skin looks better because I had uh, rosacea. That's more or less gone. My mood is more stable. I have patience. I feel motivated to get things done. And I've put to myself, well done, keep it up. Don't go back. (laughs) Self-care, that's an example of self-care, which, you know, perhaps when people are drinking is lacking for a lot of people. I think it's interesting you wrote your stuff down, like pen and paper there. I joined on a, a little forum and was keeping a bit of a daily diary entry electronically which again I'm really pleased that I did because I've got access to that and um, it's nice to be able to keep that for yourself because you're making that for yourself Um, I've got a question for you Mm -hmm. so I know you to be someone who has influenced at least three people that I know of anyway to then go ahead as well and in their own time get sober so obviously me and Claire thrown in there and and another person a family member so that's three people in the space of two years or so I mean what does that feel like to know that by you sticking to something you were doing for yourself that it's had this kind of ripple effect on people around you I mean that that's got to be remarkable you made me well up then um I didn't think I'd cry on this podcast. I really didn't. But just hearing you say it like that, it's... But you've been a trailblazer. You, without (laughs) anybody around you, managed to tackle this, make it happen, cause conversation around it, normalise it within your family group. And by doing that, enabled other people to sort of jump on and begin normalising it themselves too. And that's, that's an incredible effect on just, you know, a relatively small group of people to have that kind of an influence I mean that and I guess that comes down to entirely why we're setting up the podcast and you're the driving force behind it because you you just would want to continue spreading that I suppose and it just must feel amazing it really does and I think you know I, I never when I gave up I never intended to sort of um force it on anybody which I didn't I, I just sort of I suppose inspired really and to think that you and Claire have made that change because of my influence really is just it's so heartwarming and I feel so proud of you both because I can see how content and how happy you are having made that change and it just makes me so happy and to think that we may be able to help other people There could be someone sat at home tonight with a glass of wine in their hand listening to this podcast. But in a few days' time, that might be their day one and we've had a part to play in that and it just makes me feel so good to be able to pass this and pay it forward. And what's lovely is I've inspired sort of three people but then Claire's gone on to say that there's quite a few people in her life who she's then inspired. And I know you, Jane, there's a couple of people who have, you know, you've spoke to that feel quite inspired by you as well. And it's just that paying it forward. And it's, it's really, really exciting. Um, And I just want to read this to you. This was my diary entry at two years. This evening, two years ago, I remember drinking a bottle of wine, possibly slightly more and thinking, I'm not even enjoying this. I waited for the buzz. It never came. 
I've waited for the wave of relaxation. It never came. All the positives of the glass of wine I used to enjoy had faded away and all I was left with was anxiety, anguish and low self-esteem. I remember that evening well because I thought to myself while staring at the musty coloured poison, this is the last day I'll let you ruin my body. Two years on, I feel so healthy and content. Never look back, keep it up. (laughs) It's quite poetic. (laughs) And I really meant it, like... I'm nearly three years on and I'm still so proud of the journey I've been on and I still get a buzz out of not drinking when somebody offers me a glass of wine I am so incredibly proud to say no thank you I don't drink yeah yeah just those words it's enough without having to embellish or add anything else to it really and then I suppose if somebody asks you then you're happy to to go down that route if anybody acts uncomfortable around you not drinking, please don't take that personal. That is purely a reflection of yeah. how they're feeling. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Having been that it person really with those feelings, <laughs> it's, it's definitely because that person is probably questioning the role of alcohol in their own lives and is uncomfortable and not quite knowing where that's going. And if somebody's there pointing it out, holding up that mirror and saying... It's really not a great substance to be to be ingesting. It's really uncomfortable. So I think that's a really, really important tip. As you say, if you are met with resistance or questions, then perhaps it just isn't, it's not you. It's yeah. other people. It's, and it's, just, just own it um, because you never know where that's going to lead. I had somebody approach me um, in the summer, a person I've only met once or twice, and he had asked me about me not drinking never ever ever mentioned anything about his feelings and I saw him a year after I'd seen him last I don't know this person very well and he was like Ruth can I just tell you I I haven't had a drink for I think it was like nearly three months at that point I was like oh my gosh that's amazing I said what's brought this on he was like I don't know he said that conversation's never left me he was like asking you about your journey I was really intrigued and I think it's good to be intrigued so if people ask you questions don't see it as an attack see it as this person's sober curious yeah Yeah. oh so we'll raise your tally Um, now to four people (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah just just own that and never see it as a personal attack just think actually this person could be sober curious and if they want to know more, then be happy to speak to them about it. But yeah, you do you. You have control over what decisions you make in your own life. And if you want to explore a more sober lifestyle, it is going against the grain, but you're in charge of you. There's so many people out there, working professionals, functioning people, who you could walk past down the street and look at them and think, my God, they've got it all. They've got the job, they've got the family. They can drink responsibly, but you never know what's going through their mind. And yeah, just good luck because honestly, the grass is actually greener. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Fizz Free from Ruth, Claire and Jane. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, the email is fizzfreezero at gmail.com. You can also find us online at Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget to follow the show and please give us a great rating to help spread the word. 
fizz free your relationship with alcohol less fizz more free 